I want to talk to you about the awesome power of faith and the possibilities that are unlimited in your life. If you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution yet, you've got to run. You've got to run and go see it. Some of you emailed me this week after sharing about it last week and told me how much you've enjoyed it. Don't let this slip you by. You want to watch this movie. It's just an incredible, incredible story of what God did during the Jesus Revival. And I've just found myself praying, Lord, do it again, do it again, do it again. And so I keep thinking about that as I'm going through this message. Now, the Daniel plan, as we've talked about, is a plan. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. It's about our faith. It's about our family. It's about fitness. It's about focus. It's about our, our food that we eat. It's about everything about us. It's about how we live our lives. And so some of you have already asked me, and I know you haven't read the book when you've asked me this, so read the book, read the book, read the book. Some of you said, but pastor, I'm worried that when it's over, I'm not going to stick with the plan. Again, it's not a diet. This is a lifestyle. This is a, a biblical lifestyle from the word of the Lord. And thank God, Pastor Rick Warren was able to take in this book we've been reading, The Daniel Plan, and you're studying in your small groups, he was able to bring along fitness experts, nutrition experts, doctors to be able to help write this book so we could see how the wisdom of God is revealed into this. So I think it comes down to this, is that you and I have to make some choices in life. And all of us want the power of God. People often ask me, will you pray that I'll have the power of God to be a witness? Will you pray that I have a po the power of God to live a holy life? Will you pray that my family has the power of God in their life? Well, God grants power to people who are willing to make the right choices. Bradshaw and Alicia did something this morning that's more than just symbolism. I wouldn't do anything just for the sake of symbolism. But they really made a choice to say, God, you gave us this baby. We give our child back to you. We represent ourselves back to you one more time. We belong to you. We're opening ourselves up to you by saying we want to make godly choices. So the kind of person that God uses is the person that makes wise choices, the person that's not afraid to trust God completely with their life to be able to trust him. I trust Becky completely. I, I trust my kids completely. I trust you. But there are some things in life known only to Jesus that all of us, we choose to trust him with. There is a direct connection between power and what the Bible calls faith. Faith is where we trust God, we believe God, and we act upon God's word. Faith is not just saying, I believe something. The devil believes that Jesus is Lord. The demons of hell believe that Jesus is Lord, but they don't act upon that. I have people tell me all the time, well, I believe Jesus was a good man, but Jesus has claimed to be Lord, the Son of God. We choose to act upon that. Faith says, I not only believe it, but I will act upon it. And so the secret, if there is a secret, and if the, the secret to Increasing faith in our life is learning how daily to trust God and to walk with God. There are four ways to grow in faith. And let me read to you a couple of verses of Scripture, and then we're going to take these apart. I'm going to spend the most time on point one, just so you'll know. And then we're going to quickly go through points two through four. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, Jesus did only a few miracles there, that was in Nazareth, his hometown, because of their unbelief. 
The book of Mark says that Jesus was actually amazed at their unbelief. He was, they was amazed that people didn't trust him. After all of these other cities and all these other places that Jesus had been, he trusted, they trusted him. He did so many miracles there. It brought me to a decision, and those of you who have been with me in the Wednesday night study of the book of Mark, we made a commitment together. We want to amaze Jesus with our faith. We don't want him to be amazed at our lack of faith. We want to amaze him with our faith and trust in him. Can you say amen to that? We want God to look at Woodland and say, yes, there is a congregation that trusts me. Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. Abraham and Sarah had not had the child yet that God had promised them. They were both well up in years, way past the age of childbearing. And yet the Bible says that Abraham's faith did not leave him, and he did not doubt God's promise. His faith filled him with power, and he gave praise to God. Would you circle that phrase in your outline this morning? His faith filled him with power. So the secret to increasing faith is to continue to trust God even when it seems impossible. It was impossible for them to have a child. The Bible teaches us if you and I want to please God, we have to be people of faith. So what do we do with this? Number one, faith is choosing to believe God's dream for my life. Faith is choosing to believe God's dream for my life. In other words, God has a dream for every one of our lives in here. Everything starts with a dream. Everything starts with a vision and an idea. This planet, the trees, the oceans, the mountains, all that you see, it started with a vision. It started with a dream of God. As I prayed over little Kennedy this morning, the Bible says that from the foundations of the earth, God had chose her. God had loved her. Long before there was a world created, God chose. He knew what he was going to do. God had a dream. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So here's a question I would write down on the side of my outline this morning, is what does God want to do with my life? Years and years ago, decades ago, I knelt in an altar, came to the church by myself, and, and just knelt down one day, a sanctuary that was empty, and I asked God, I said, God, what do you want to do with my life? At that time, I still wasn't well. There were still many more surgeries ahead of me that uh, were coming up, and I just simply asked God, what do you want to do with my life? Because there was no real promise of life. And at that time, God gave me a vision. God gave me a dream. And when I say that, I don't mean I was in la-la land. I knew what was going on around me. But God gives you the ability to dream. God created us in his image, so therefore, you and I have the ability to dream. You and I have the ability to have a vision for our lives. But here's something I've learned in life, and I want you to listen to this well, because oftentimes people will say to me, now, Pastor, I want you to believe God for me. I want you to believe God for me for this. And I will say to them, you can't delegate faith to me. I will believe God with you, but I can't believe God for you. You have to have faith in God yourself. And faith, I can't delegate my faith to Becky. I can't delegate my faith to the board. I can't delegate my faith to the pastoral staff. I have to ask them and you to dream with me and to have faith with me because nothing starts happening until you begin to dream. 
You trust God today, right now, everyone listening, everyone online, you trust God as much as you choose to trust God. You can trust God a lot, or you can trust God a little. God is not going to scold you either way. But the size of your dream is determined by the size of God, your faith in God, your vision of God. Whatever you believe God to be, whoever you've conceived God to be, as long as it's in the Bible and you conceive God as he shows himself to be, then you can dream a big dream and you can trust God with a lot of things. But if you just read your Bible once in a while, if you just choose to believe when you feel good and when you feel bad, you don't. You know, I can't tell how many times people have said to me, I didn't, I didn't bargain for this. I didn't ask God for this. There's a lot of things that happen in life we don't ask God for, but we choose to believe God's dream even though tough stuff happens in life. Can you say amen to that? So how do you get God's dream for your life? Three things you need to do. So follow closely. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. God, who by his mighty power at work within us, within us, is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Now look at that. God's mighty power is at work in you, God is able to do far more than you would ever dream. You say to God, God, here's my dream. And God goes, ha, I can top that. You go, God, here's my vision. God goes, ha, I can top that. That dream that I had, that vision that I talked about that I had years ago when I came into the church by myself, God has answered that prayer far beyond what that dream was. But he didn't do it the way I thought he was going to do it. How many of you have discovered in, that, in life, when God gives you a dream, you think you know how God's going to do it, you know? No, God often does things totally opposite of the way you think God is going to do it. But here's the key, far more than we could ever dare to ask. Would you circle that phrase up there this morning, dare to ask? Circle that in your outline. What are you daring to ask God for? What big dream are you asking God for your marriage, for your family? What big dream are you asking God for, for your, your vocation, for your life? That's the thing. You've got to be willing to have big faith and ask God whatever it is. So when I pray, I do what I did years ago. I say, God, what is your dream for my life? Then the second thing I've learned the hard way is, God, how do you want to do it in my life? Because oftentimes I've gotten a dream, and I thought, well, I know how to do this, so I go out and do it, and it doesn't work that way. So the second thing I'd write down is, God, how do you want to do it in my life? And God then will say to you, why aren't you doing then the dream once you ask him what it is and how to do it. Secondly, you believe God's promises. Look at what the Bible says in Jeremiah 32, 27. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? Would you read that with me? Is anything too hard for me? Come on, say it again. Is anything too hard for me? God is asking you that question. Is it too hard for God to give you a marriage? Is it too hard for God to give you a child? Is it too hard for God to do whatever it is you're asking him? Whatever the impossibilities are, with God, Jesus said this, not me, with God, all things are possible. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? 
Nothing is too hard for God. That's the obvious answer. So this should cause us, this should motivate us to pray more. This should motivate us to think more, to dream bigger. It should motivate us to want to learn and to grow and to become the kind of people that God wants us to do. Because here's a little key for you, and we talked about this some last week. God always works in the realm of the impossible. If I can do it by myself without God's help, then I haven't gotten God's dream for my life. If I can do it without the help of God, I haven't gotten God's dream for my life. Hudson Taylor said this, there are three stages to the will of God in your life. Impossible, possible, and done. And if you're wondering who Hudson Taylor was, he was one of the early missionaries to China. Lost his wife there, lost his child there, but he stayed persistent and is, is credited as the man who broke through and got the gospel into China. Three stages to your life, impossible, possible, and done. And what I've learned in life, Satan will always come to me whenever there's a dream that God has placed on my heart, and he will say, that's impossible. You can't do that. He will bring people into my life that will say, you can't do that. Those words are not from God. God doesn't know the meaning of impossible. All things are possible with God. I listened to a song this morning by Bethel Music. It says, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love. How many of you have heard that song? Go home and get Spotify or Apple Music, whatever you're using, you know, and just download that song and listen to it over and over. My fear can't stand a chance when I'm standing in your love. And then you dream big. The Bible says of this in Psalms chapter 2 and verse 8, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. What's God saying? Ask me for the world. It doesn't get much bigger than that. Ask me for anything. It's the size of God that determines your prayer life. So what's your dream? What have you always wanted to do? Have you asked God, what is your dream for my life? And then you ask God for his timing. If you were to go into my study today, there's a small little Polaroid picture. I didn't even know they still made these cameras, but somebody took it. A Becky and I says, here, let us take your picture. And they pulled out a Polaroid camera. Do you remember those? You kind of pull the film out, and you had to stick it in a little thing and hold it under your arm to keep it warm, and, you know, you, you let it develop. Well, we, we all stood there just like we did in the 60s, and we're watching Becky and I appear slowly and when it finally appeared, I just kept it in my office because it's a cute memory. Here's the thing. You have to wait on God for your dream because God's timing is perfect, and it's not always my timing. Now, let me illustrate something for you like this. I asked my secretary to write the secretary of this church when I moved here 24 years ago. I said, I want you to tell her my strengths and my weaknesses. I want her to know, you know, what I'm like working with. I'm not going to read the letter. You write the letter. You read it, and, and then I'll give it to her. So she wrote the letter, gave it to the secretary. And later, my secretary called me, and she and her husband are still very close friends of ours. And she said, did you read that letter? I said, I told you I wouldn't read it. And she started laughing. She said, I told her your biggest weakness. I said, what was that? She says, you always overestimate what you can do in a year. You always overestimate what you can do in a week. I have thought about that phrase a lot. 
I tend, to this day, I still tend to overestimate what I can get done in a year. I till, still tend to overestimate what I can get done in a week. But I can tell you this, I have never underestimated what God can do in a lifetime. I have never underestimated what God can do. Give God 10 years. Give God 20 years. Give God 30 years. For 10 years, Becky and I prayed about one thing every single day, over and over, and God broke through and answered that prayer. You see, God's timing is always perfect. I have a new surgeon in my life right now, and this week I'm, I'm going through all the annual tests that I go through, and so I don't know this guy. He walks into the office. He doesn't even shake my hand. He's holding pictures and, he's, and papers, and he goes, you do not exist, sir. You are a miracle, and we don't believe in miracles around here. Have you ever seen these? And I said, no, I haven't. And so he starts, he says, you do not exist. You are a miracle. I want you to know something. You that are you now, once you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, you did not exist before Calvary, but when God forgave your sins, your sins were gone. The old has passed away. You are a brand new creature in Christ. Somebody say amen this morning. Hallelujah. So he begins bombarding me with questions, and he told me, he says, I have never, ever heard a story like this. And then he says, do you know about this? Do you know about that? And I said, no. And so he comes and gets his cell phone. He starts looking up images and sending me images. And he says, this just didn't happen in the 50s. You don't exist. Friends, listen to me this morning. There is nothing impossible with God and so I would say, secondly then, ask yourself, what is my shape? What does God shape me to do? Because God didn't shape me, not number two yet. I'm just still on point one. I told you it was the longest point. You see, if I wanted to be, if I said, you know what, I'm going to retire and I'm going to take up all the mechanics for a hobby, do you know how miserable I would be? Do you know how stressed I would be? Do you know how stressed you would be if you bought your car to me and says, okay, Mr. Mechanic, I need you to repair this? When you picked up your car, it would be a bigger mess than what it was when you brought it back to me. You see, a lot of times people try to do things that God has not shaped them for. And what is shape? Remember, it's our spiritual gifts, it's our heart, it's our abilities, it's our personality, and it's our experiences in life. And God uses our shape it's how he's going to use us and help us. When you're doing what God created you to do, there's no stress. People ask me all the time, isn't it stressful being a pastor? I love being a pastor. I have people calling me and says, when are you going to retire? I know that you've got to be stressed out. I go, I wake up every morning going, what can I do today? I have enjoyed my life. I have enjoyed my ministry. I've enjoyed my family. I've enjoyed my marriage. I've enjoyed everything. Has there been things that hasn't been fun? Of course there's been things that haven't been fun. The Bible says where there's no ox, the stall is clean. If you're going to have some ox, you're going to have to shovel poo-poo once in a while. Pardon me. I know none of you ever do that. Of course, there's stressful things that happen, but it doesn't mean that's the way your life is. Secondly, now you can put up point number two. Faith is being willing to risk failure. It's being willing to risk failure. Acts chapter 15 and verse 26, 
when they wanted to commend some men to the Lord, when they wanted the church to know that you could trust them, they said this, these men have risked their lives for our Lord Jesus Christ. What have you risked for Jesus? What have you risked for your dream? What have you risked for what you believe God has called you to do? One of the reasons that I love Becky so much is she's always been willing to take the big gambles with me. I borrowed a sermon title from a Methodist preacher in the early 1900s that was called Wanted Great Gamblers for God. In the first paragraph, he defined that he was not talking about casinos and cards, but people that were willing to take big risks for God. You see, failure is not that really a big deal. I can't tell you how many things I've failed at. From the very beginning here at Woodland, I've told you, you know, don't ever just go in and say, I feel like God's called me to do this. Go in and experiment first because you may experiment with it and go, this is really not my calling. And when you fail, you're just doing what Thomas Edison said. You found a way how not to do something. Failure's not a big deal. Look at Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17. These three boys, he, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are supposed to fall down and worship an idol of the king. The king begins to believe he's God. He creates a golden statue. Everybody's supposed to bow down when the trumpet sounds, and they're supposed to worship the king. They don't bow down. He calls them in because they're trusted advisors. He calls them in. He says, look, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to bow down, or you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Hard stop. He's able, and he will. He's able, and he will. Say that with me. He's able, and he will. Say it one more time. He's able, and he will. But they're willing to risk being wrong to take a great gamble for God. Because the sentence goes on and says, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, faith doesn't demand a miracle. Faith says, I want the will of God done in my life. We know he's willing. We know he's able. But if in God's plan, he chooses not to deliver us, we want you to know we serve the Lord. We're not going to serve an idol. And when you have that kind of faith that you're willing to risk it all, and it doesn't matter what happens in life, come hell or high water, you're going to be faithful to God. That's the kind of faith that brings the power of God into our lives. Somebody say amen this morning. Well, some of you wanted to clap, and somebody said, let me think about that for a moment. A fiery furnace? Pastor, that would scare me to death. It would scare me to death too. Nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to be in pain. It's not that these guys enjoyed suffering. They're just saying we're still going to do the right thing. Look at me. Satan's biggest tool is the fear of failure. If I fail, what's the church going to think? If I fail, what's my neighbors going to think? If this doesn't work out, what is my family going to think? The Bible says the fear of human opinion disables. Failure is not having a dream. Failure is not having a target. Failure is refusing to get up when you've had a setback. 
Faith is saying, God, I'm not demanding a miracle, but I am going to attempt to do something big and glorious for your name because I love you. Look at this next verse, Galatians 6, 4. Each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. In other words, I don't compare myself with anybody else. I don't compare myself with you. I don't compare my wife with any other women. I don't compare my children with any other children. The Bible says, just be who I've created you to be. And then the third thing, if you want the power of God released in your life, is expect God to bless you and to use you. Expect God to bless you and to use you. There have been times when I've walked away from this pulpit and I've told Becky, I know the anointing abides, but we're at abode this morning and I don't have the foggiest idea. I, there have been times that I have walked out and I said, I could have done better with that, I could have done better. But I have always come to this pulpit expecting God to use me. Number two, I've always come to this pulpit prepared. Number three, I've always come to this pulpit prayed up. And I expect something to happen. And when the day starts, it's how I begin my day. I prepare for the day. I expect God to bless and to use me. And if you want to know why God uses me in life and why God uses you in life, it's because we expect God to use us. We expect God to do something through us. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. I expect and hope that I will not fail Christ in anything, but that I will have the courage now as always to show the greatness of Christ in my life here on earth, whether I live or die. Circle that phrase, I expect and hope. I expect God to use me. I expect God to bless me. David expected God to bless him. Look at Psalms 27, 13. I believe I shall enjoy the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Circle that phrase, I believe I shall enjoy. He expected God to use him. I can tell you right now, look at me, right here in the eye. I can tell every one of you what God's going to do in your life. Exactly what you're expecting God to do in your life. And if you came to church expecting nothing, that's what happened to you in church. If you get up tomorrow expecting nothing, that's what will happen to you. But if you get up expecting God to use you and to bless you, and you're praying and you have a dream, you can expect every day to make progress. You won't hit perfection, but as long as you're making progress, you're going to enjoy your life. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? Jesus said in Matthew 9, 29, according to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your faith, you can't delegate your faith. I can have faith with you, but according to your faith. And again, I just want to say it, it's not too late in the year to begin to dream a dream. Hebrews 11, 1, faith assures us of things we expect, convinces us, convinces us, convinces us of the existence of things we cannot see. I don't want to get weird, and I don't want to get mystical, because I'm neither one of those things. But I want you to know 
there's more going on in here this morning than what you can see with your eyes. We have come unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God. And the Bible says that present here among us are angels and those that have gone before us. We are in the presence of Jesus Christ. We are in the presence of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit is working in our lives right now. I am convinced there's more going on than what I can see with my eye this morning. Aren't you? And then finally, faith is never giving up. Faith is never giving up. Our nation, our schools, our community needs people of character. We need people of passion. We need people of conviction. We not only need people with competence in chemistry, but listen to me, we need people of consistency. Bradshaw and Alicia have always loved each other, but you heard what I asked them this morning. Will you recommit today to building a godly home? We need people of consistency, people who refuse to give up, people that when the going gets tough, they don't give up on God and they say it doesn't work. They just keep on keeping on. They just say, I am going to follow Jesus. I am going to take up my cross and follow him. In Psalms 31 and verse 24, be brave, be strong, don't give up, expect God to get here soon. Psalms 119 and verse 109, David was in a tough place. He says, my life hangs in the balance, but I will not give up obedience to your laws. You say, Pastor, how does that apply to me? I don't know, but as I was praying this week, some of you, you may be in here this morning, you go going, Pastor, my finances are in a mess. I can never, ever, ever get them back under control. Some of you are going this morning, Pastor, my marriage is just not working out. I'm having conflict in my home. Some of you are going, my girlfriend broke up with me. My boyfriend broke up with me. Somebody, some of you are going through some tough times right now. Your, your job has changed. Your job is going out. Maybe you're having conflict with your kids. Maybe you're having conflict with your neighbors. Something is going on in your life, and you almost feel like giving up. Some of you have been sick for a long time. One thing I admired about my my brother-in-law, Gary, that I just helped do the funeral for. Gary loved God. Gary persistently believed God. God, he never gave up on a miracle in his life, but he told me over and over, whether God heals me or whether God doesn't heal me is not the point. The point is, I want to honor God with everything in my life, and he died a hero's death this morning. I want you to know, faith is never, ever giving up. God's plan is always better than my plan. Somebody say amen this morning. <laughs> Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says, even if good people, good people, even if good people fall seven times, they will get back up. So what does it take to discourage you? Somebody saying that's a dumb idea. That'll never work. You'll never stick to it. The first person, a grown woman in the church that I went to when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, the first person to speak to me when they found out I had been saved looked at me and says, it won't last. I don't believe you've been saved. I want you to know whether it was of the devil or whether it was the Lord, I would have busted hell wide open to prove her wrong. <laughs> I have one quality in my life. I don't 
give up. I don't quit. And you've got to have that quality in your life that I will not give up. Stand with me if you would this morning. Let me read to you from Galatians 6 and verse 9. It'll be on the screen, but I want you to listen carefully. Let us not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, say that with me. After a while, one more time. After a while. Notice the time delay right there. Notice the time delay. After a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. A man came to Jesus one time. The disciples couldn't heal his son. And he was desperate. And Jesus just looked at him. And Mark will pretend it was you. He says, Mark, do you believe I'm able? Do you really believe I'm able? And here you've got a father who loves his kid. You love your kids. Loves his kids. And his kid is suffering terribly. But what he does, rather than fake it, he's honest with God. And the Bible says in Mark 24, he said these words to Jesus. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know what Jesus said? He said, Mark, that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. You don't need perfect faith. You just need to be progressing in your faith. Can you say amen to that? It's not perfect faith. It's progressing in your faith. And Jesus touched and healed his little boy. What are you asking God to do big in your life this morning? Let's bow our heads together. Father, over 40 years ago, Becky and I sat down and wrote our dream out together, page after page after page. In Columbus, Georgia, Lord, in a tiny little house, we just dreamed. We just dreamed. And God, when I look at that little document again, it was big for a couple of 20-year-olds. But Lord, it has paled to what you have done in our lives. So along with this congregation, I'm asking you, help us to dream big this morning. Would you all just repeat this prayer after me? Say, Heavenly Father, come on, let me hear you pray. Heavenly Father, help me to believe you. I want to believe. Help me with my doubts. Help me with my fears. And help me to dream your dream today. 
I'm asking you, what do you want me to do? And then I ask you to help me to go home and write down what it is I would do for you if I could do anything in the world. Come on, pray that. What it is I would do for you if I could do anything in the world. And then help me dare to ask you to do that. Now God's going to answer that prayer for you right now. He's going to give you the courage to ask big. And if you're not a follower of Jesus or you've never committed your life to Jesus, I, I'm inviting you right now. Would you pray with me and ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your life? Say these words. Just pray them sincerely to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to make me a brand new man or a brand new woman. I'm asking you for a fresh start in life. And I welcome you into my life as my master, the boss of my life, the Lord of my life, and my Savior. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise this morning and you can be seated.